0: Talk about the other one I struggle with. So if you would stand as we read God's word, I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation today. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. And there was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? And when they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. And then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get them out. And when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who's more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat, and then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. And then when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. And then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. And in verse 11, it says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Word of God. You may be seated. I knew God was going to do major surgery this week when Tom and I, Tuesday, sat down and started talking about these verses. And Tom looked at me and he said, hey, Bill, what are the biggest obstacles for you in being humble? And so I sat there and came up with two big ones. Then after I left Tom, I got in the car, and the list continued to grow. (laughs) And as I thought through the list, I'm thinking to myself, it's going to be a struggle this week. And he has indeed been doing major surgery on me. John Stott. I happened to be in a seminary class where he came to speak. It was a small class. He was a wonderful theologian and evangelist. And I remember him saying this. In fact, it's been quoted in his books. Pride is your greatest enemy, and humility is your greatest friend. If you say to yourself, I don't have a problem with pride, whoops, whoops. And then on the other side of that, if you say, you know, humility, the minute I think I have it and got it, you lost it. Or as William Law said, there could be no sure proof of confirmed pride than one is sufficiently humble." Nurse, pass the scalpel, please. So, a little levity here. An old Peanuts cartoon. Linus says to Charlie Brown, when I get big, I'm going to be humble little country doctor. I'll live in a city, see, and every morning I'll get up, climb into a sports car, and zoom into the country. Then I'll start healing people. I'll heal everybody for miles around. I'll be a world famous humble little country doctor. (laughs) You know, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about being humble. Because it's Pride is a big issue for us. In fact, when my doctor told me, and I found out I had high blood pressure, he says, you know, it's the silent killer. I'm here to tell you that spiritually pride is the silent killer. It's really hard for us to identify pride in ourselves because we're so prideful. I can identify it in you, but it's really hard to self-reflect pride. And when Jesus looked at those religious leaders, he said, listen, I'm telling you, first will be last and the last will be first. It's almost antithetical to our culture. I've had a couple really qualified kids come to me and they didn't get into a particular university and I looked at their resume and kind of went, my goodness, how could they not get into this university? And all I saw was all these accomplishments and they had to go through this process of putting in all their accomplishments, everything they'd done, all their leadership positions, everything. And I sat there and looked at one of them and I said, I wonder if someone put I major in humility. Or I like being less. Or I want to be like a little child. (laughs) Jesus taught that the only way to find your life is to lose it for the sake of the gospel. Republican National Convention, Democratic National Convention. Can you imagine if people got up and started saying things like this? Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. Don't store up treasures on earth. Don't build bigger barns. Yeah! (laughs) People cheering. The last will be first and the first will be last. If you want to be great, you have to become a servant. Anyone who wants to be Jesus' disciple must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him, not me. God uses the foolish things to shame the wise and chooses the weak to shame the strong. Jesus was rich, and for our sake, he became poor. I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in in insults. I delight in hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. Paul says, when I'm weak, and then I'm strong. Wow. Can you imagine someone getting up and giving that speech? Maybe we're not too far from Linus. Maybe <laughs> Maybe things Maybe when we think we've got it, we don't. I want to talk about a disease, a pathology. It's not necessarily physical DNA, it's spiritual DNA. And ever since someone identified me as ADD, I wanted to come up with my own deficit. (laughs) You know, we suffer from chronic pride disorder, CPD. And we also suffer from humility, deficit disorder. They're silent killers. They haunt us. And the thing about it is, even though many of you do not suffer from other disorders, we all suffer from these two disorders in this room. I want to talk about humility, just for a second. You know, the word humble comes up in the Old Testament 57 times, usually referring to people. It comes up 16 times in the New Testament. And I just put, I don't mean for you to copy all that list. I just started putting a list down. The importance of humility in our lives is incredible. John Calvin said, humility is the sovereign virtue, the mother of all and the root of all virtues. If you do not have humility, it's very hard to to develop any other value in your life is what he's saying Jonathan Edwards says the most, it's the most essential thing in true religion and then I love what Andrew Murray says humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God wow Augustine said there are three really important virtues humility Humility and humility. Humility is essential to our walk with the Lord. And yet it's a very, very difficult thing for us to grab, to get our heads around. Because as soon as we feel like we've got it, here's the snare, we've lost it. So maybe it's easier to talk about pride. The other chronic disorder that we have, pride is destructive, it's abusive, it's offensive, it's self-righteous, it's self-fill-in-the-blank, self-absorbed, self-reliant, self-dependent, it's a preoccupation with self. Pride can be summarized as an attitude of self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-exaltation in relation to God and an attitude of contempt towards others. Ooh. C.S. Lewis said, Pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. It comes in in very subtle ways. After my open heart surgery, they put me in cardiac rehab, and you go through this one hour of just intense exercise, and they've got you monitored, they're watching, your, they're watching your, your heart rate, they're monitoring your blood pressure, they're doing all of this while you're exercising. And at the end, you get released when your heart rate goes down to a certain level. And so I said, well, I, you know, I had something, the second or third day I was there, I had somewhere I had to be, I needed to get out of this place, and my heart rate hadn't come down. And I get ready to leave, and she said, "Uh, no, you can't go until your heart rate gets down. And and they said, you got to take deep breaths, you got to do this, and I'm sitting there going, I said, well, stop talking to me so I can do this. And this older man, who's probably 15 years older than me, who had been exercising, comes over, and they say, you can go. <laughs> well, he's 20 pounds overweight and 10 years older than me. What are you talking about? And I realized, I'm in competition about my heart rates. <laughs> I'm even prideful about that. The subtlety of pride as it kicks into our lives is so very scary. I'm sure I've told y'all that I've sat in the skybox. Oh, I haven't? My brother took me in Dallas when I was down there visiting him in Dallas. I sat in the skybox with the owner of the Dallas North Stars. Talked to him about hockey. You're not impressed. (laughs) I've told that story ad nauseum to a lot of people Because I was impressed that I was impressed. It was about me, you know. And I quoted this thing with John Stott. I met him. I heard him talk about humility. Did any of you all talk to John Stott? You know, when I think about humility, I think about a rock star. No, not Bono. John the Baptist. He was a legend in his own time. As far as Jewish apocalyptic prophets went, John was the man. He was Bono, Oprah, and Billy Graham all wrapped up in one. When Mark describes John's ministry, it says, all of Jerusalem was coming out to see him in the wilderness. All of Jerusalem. He gathered the huddled masses at the banks of the Jordan and told them it was time to change the agenda of their lives. He called them to repentance, and the crowds went crazy. Hey, did you hear about John the Baptist? I mean, he's amazing. we got to go out and see this guy. The vendors were selling t-shirts. The funnel cakes were flying over the counter. And the throng of disciples followed Jesus everywhere he went. Then one day his cousin, Jesus, showed up at the banks of the Jordan. And even though Jesus was completely nobody at that time, it seems though John had been waiting for that day. The party for him was about to be over. He looks at the people and he says, I'm not the one. Take your John the Baptist t-shirts off. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, trying to keep the pathway straight. But you're about to see things your eyes won't believe and you will never forget. I'm going to take my cousin down in the river And I'm going to baptize him. And when he emerges, the world is going to be different for you and everyone else in this universe. The heavens were ripped open. A dove descended on him. And his ministry was embraced and ratified by the very voice of God. John the Baptist is the perfect exemplar of the humble way of doing life and ministry. If we are intent on pursuing Jesus and serving the kingdom of God, we must learn how to shrink, how to step back. We have to shrink personally. We must decrease, and he must increase. And all of us have been called to do that. Jesus has chosen to give the world to the powerless, to the meek, and to the humble. Just think about that statement for a moment. He has chosen to give to the world, give the world to the powerless, the meek, those who embrace weakness and vulnerability and gentleness and not the road to success. It's a different kingdom success that we've been called to. In the end, following Jesus isn't separated into followers and leaders. Guess what? We're all followers. Those who will humbly embody weakness and vulnerability will inherit the earth. They will see the first are last and the last are first. Jonathan Edwards back in the early 18th century, wrote or spoke this. I don't know what it was. It was in the early 18th century, the undetected spiritual pride. And he came up with these eight characteristics of pride. But I want to read a portion of his talk here, his sermon first. The first and worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age, and I remember, this is the 18th century, is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into our hearts, of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. It is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit to darken the mind and mislead the judgment. Pride is the main handle by which he has hold of Christian persons, speaking of Lucifer. And the chief source of all, the the mischief that he introduces to clog and hinder the work of God. Nothing sets a Christian so much out of devil's reach than humility. And so prepares the mind for divine light without darkness. Humility clears the eyes to look at things that are truly are. And he quotes Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. If spiritual pride is healed, other things are easily corrected. Our first care should be to correct the heart and pull the beam of pride out of our eye that we can see clearly. I wish I could write that way. I wish I could talk that way. You may be suffering from CBD if... You have a secret enemy. Guess what? You have a secret enemy. And he's out to get you. And he's very subtle. He's very careful. He watches you. He will lure you into acts of pride when you think, on one hand, they're not. He's a great, you may be a great fault finder if you're in spiritual pride. Judgy pants. Not just those outside of the church, but those in the church. Do you find yourself constantly going down the list of what is wrong with the people around you? A fault finder, judging people. You may minister in a harsh spirit. Tom, I can't believe you did that. That is the worst, stupidest thing I've ever seen you do. God bless you. (laughs) I've been guilty of that. Somebody ticks me off and I go at them. And the next thing I know, I'm kind of going, wow, where did that come from? It did not come from a spirit of humility, of pride. You put on pretenses. You put on masks. You dress up and think, I've got it. Can't you see that I've got it? You take offense easily. You're presumptuous before God and man. There's an irreverence in the way that you function with God. You presume upon God. And you presume upon your fellow man. You're hungry for attention. Ooh, prideful people. Don't you hate being around those people? Watch what you say. You neglect others. Hmm. By the time I got to this point in my sermon, I was on the floor because he had me and he was doing major surgery. I could go through these eight points and find myself guilty right in each one of them. I'm going to put his whole sermon online so you can go online. It's, It's beautiful. It's not long so that you can, you can see how he explains each one of these out. It's beautiful stuff. So where do we go with this? I've got this pride thing. It's part of my DNA. It came from my mom and dad. You know where they got it? From their mom and dad. You know where my great-grandma got it? From her mom. We all can trace the origin of this back to our original parents, Adam and Eve. No, actually, we could go farther back than that to Lucifer. Why did Lucifer get thrown out of heaven? Because of pride. Why didn't Adam and Eve fall? Because of pride. It's in our spiritual genetics, it's in our DNA. You've got chronic pride disorder. And part of that is you have humility deficit disorder as well. So what do you do about this? Paul was probably encountering some believers who were struggling with the same thing in Philippi. our perspective on humility can be radically changed if we will ponder and meditate on the greatest example of humility in history, God himself, who became man, Jesus Christ. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus demonstrated a spirit of profound humility, saying that he came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. God Almighty, Jesus Christ. That last night, he washed his disciples' feet. The very, one, the very same ones who were fighting on who was going to be the greatest. And then he said to them, follow my example. Andrew Murray said, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. And he calls us his disciples. You know, when you look at the Trinity, it is a circle of deference. There's no superior in the Trinity. It's the Spirit deferring to Jesus who defers to the Father, who defers to Jesus, who who defers to the Spirit. There's this mystery. There's this dance going on in the Trinity between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, constantly deferring to each other. And That's what he's calling his church to do. And the only way you can do that is to put your pride down, to identify your pride, to say, I'm tired of this. I give it up. It's a vertical thing, and it's a horizontal thing. I need to be honest with the Lord. I need for him to to show me. I, I I need to be in prayer. I need to be in his word. You know, it was an interesting thing happened to me. One of the people who calls me on my pride said to me, and he did it in a very gentle way, he said, you know, you read too many books other than the Bible. I smacked him. <laughs> said, forgive me. He said, I just challenge you to be in the Bible more. I'm here to tell you, humbly, God has done some amazing things in the two weeks since that brother shared that with me. God to work in your life. Allow him to move in mighty ways. Allow him to challenge you. But find those people in your lives who will challenge you as well here on earth. It's like that conversation. It just seemed like a simple conversation when Tom said, So what are those obstacles in your life to being humble? That's a brother I need in my life. If you go out of here thinking, I don't have a problem with pride, you got a problem with pride. If you go out of here thinking, I've got this humble thing down, you got a problem with humility. It's something that I'm going to be working on until I hear the clumps of dirt on top of my box that's in the ground. He's still working on me. He's still working on us. The grace of Jesus Christ with us, a bunch of knuckleheads who don't seem to get it. And he says, I love you. I died for you. I long for you to walk with me. To put on the garb of humility. To take up your cross and follow me. And he wants to remind us I love you. I love you. There was a film in 1984 called Places in the Heart. If you get a chance, watch it. Don't watch it with your young children, but watch it. It takes place in Texas in the 30s. It starts off with Ed Harris in an adulterous affair. And it kind of moves through Sally Field. Husband gets killed by a young man. And the KKK goes out and gets that young man and drags him to Sally Fields like a cat would uh, take a mouse and say, here, we've, we've brought justice. And she said, no, what's wrong with you? And you get to know all these people in this little town and all their sins and all their stuff. And Danny Glover shows up, a black man in the 30s, to come and say, listen, she said, will you help me? I've got to keep this farm. And there's a last three minutes and 22 seconds last scene in this movie. The pastor gets up, prepares people for the communion, and he reads 1 Corinthians 13, and they've got the old Baptist choir in the back singing. And the camera comes and scopes Ed Harris next to his wife, who's next to this girlfriend, redeemed. Moves back to Danny Glover, a black man sitting in a white church in 1930 Texas. Then it moves down to Sally Field's kids and on to her husband who'd been killed by this young black man who's sitting next to the husband. And the only dialogue, all of that, when they're passing the communion tray around, is when the sheriff, Sally Field's husband, hands it to the young black man. He said, The peace of God with you. The communion of saints, sins and all, coming to the table, rejoicing over Jesus Christ, their Savior. I was humbled when I watched that film clip. All my sins, he says, come Bill, I forgive you you got to crawl up to this thing. Come. I love you. I died for you. Come and follow me. After I finished that film, I said, I wonder who he's going to sit me next to in heaven. I got a feeling I'm not going to have a choice. I got a feeling that someone that I hit one of those eight George Whitfield things with, so come to the table, sinners saved by grace. Come to this table. If those of you who are going to be serving, if you would come forward. As you come, I ask that you prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts to come to this table. Come and take the bread, dip it in the wine, and know that you're free.